ever wonder what therapists talk about over coffee? Well, we're three clinical psychologists, Dr. Diana Hill, Dr. Ray Littlewood, and Dr. Debbie Sorensen, and we'd like to welcome you to Psychologists Off the Clock. In this podcast, you'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. Our webpage is www.offtheclockpsych.com, and there you can find resources we mention in this episode, as well as other podcasts we've posted. You can also find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Hi, Ray. Hi, Debbie. It's good to be with you today. You too. Thank you. I'm really excited about this topic. It's something I've been interested in a long time, and I started getting into looking a little, you know, delving into the research, and I got really gung-ho. So. I know. You were pretty up, <laughs> up late last night, I yeah. know. <laughs> Which is ironic when we talk about sleep and cognitive functioning, so stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I know you've been doing some research about the brain and aging, and, um, and today you're going to present some of that research about how lifestyle factors and some of the different um, kind of things that are out there that are advertised as ways to keep your brain healthy, whether they work or don't work. Um, so I'm interested to find out what I should be doing to keep my brain healthy. We all know that, you know, cognitive decline is something that can happen as we get older. Um, it does happen. It does happen, yeah. And in yes. fact, I'll just kind of quickly say that the brain does change with age um, and that there are some changes that are very typical and normal. And, you know, I was looking at the website from the National Institute on Aging, um, and there's just some normal aging processes that happen in the brain. Certain parts of the brain get smaller. Um, Some areas that are pretty important to learning and memory and some sort of complicated mental activities like the prefrontal cortex and the hippocampus, um, which would explain that, you know, people always sort of observe just little memory lapses as people get older might increase. Um, Changes Mm -hmm. in neurons and neurotransmitters that affect how they communicate with each other just in that network, Um, the efficiency, the myelin, if you're familiar with myelin, it's kind of the white matter that makes neurons transmit information more efficiently, and there can be some changes in that, changes in the blood flow to the brain, um, you know, because arteries kind of get narrower over time. that some there's some damage that sort of naturally happens to neurons over time. Um, inflammation increases, and some people and there are little structures that can form plaques and tangles. They're called that are somewhat normal, although people who have some, um, you know, Alzheimer's disease and some other conditions tend to to obviously have more of those. Um, but that some degree of that is is normal, and people might notice some moderate decline as they get, you know, into later stage of adulthood. Um, And what you typically see might be just a little bit of difficulty retrieving information, like remembering names, um, a little, just takes a little bit longer and a little bit harder to learn new things, tasks of attention and learning and memory might be harder. But I want to just say, um, this is something that really varies a lot, that some people might notice very little decline or none. I mean, they can perform just as well as they ever did into their, you know, 70s, 80s, etc. And in fact, in some areas, adults improve um, things mm-hmm. like vocabulary and, you know, some verbal knowledge and, you know, wisdom, I think, in some ways, yeah. having that life experience and that grander perspective. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so as things slow down, there's biological reasons that are sort of causing that to happen. Um, and then there's these observable things that people notice about themselves or about their relatives that things are, it takes longer for people maybe to do the things that they used to do more quickly or even just in having conversations that sometimes there's those, like you said, memory lapses of just, oh, what was the name of that right, thing right. or what was the yeah. word? Yeah. Yeah, and, then, and another thing that I think happens, we all have those moments, and they do increase with age typically. Um, but I think sometimes when you're aging, you know, say you're 75 and you have that moment where you forget a name or you can't remember where you put something, you might attribute that to age when, in fact, we all do some of that sometimes, mm-hmm. even when we're younger and our brains are, you know, more fresh. Um, but, you know, there's... Again, there is that variation from very little noticeable decline to sort of mild cognitive impairment um, to more severe, you know, dementia or Alzheimer's disease. And obviously, um, you know, Alzheimer's is at the extreme end and it causes really, you know, the neurons in the brain, a lot of areas of the brain to just kind of stop working. A lot of those plaques and tangles get formed. Um, and clearly, you know, that's something that's very costly to individuals and their families and to society as a whole yeah. in terms of, you yeah. know, medical care. And, and it's a very hard thing to watch. And so, you know, what you might be thinking of as we talk today, first of all, you know, decline isn't universal and inevitable, but it does happen to many older adults in various ways. And so what you want to think about is, you know, what can we do to keep the brain as healthy as possible as long as possible? And are there, I guess the question I really want to pose today, are there things that we can do, behaviors that we can do, lifestyle things we can do, just to try to help our cognitive performance, you know, decline as little as possible with whatever we've got? You know, there are genetic components, obviously, and things that we probably can't change about the past. Um, but we all, most people, the question that they have is, okay, what can I do um, mm-hmm. in my life yeah. to, you know, do the best I can? Yeah. Kind of like like protective steps. Like we know that it's going to happen, but um, what are things that might protect us or kind of slow that down or yeah. you know, compensate, compensate maybe? Absolutely. Yeah. What can yeah. we do to compensate and to to do our best and you know as we talk I think you'll find there's no sort of magic solution to this there's no simple one thing you can do that's going to really you know completely ensure that you never face this problem but there's a lot of research suggesting that certain things may be more important than others Um, Mm -hmm. and some of the things that we'll talk about today that do seem to matter you know, those are good things to be doing for a number of reasons. So I, I find that a little bit helpful to think about that most of what you'll see that most of what we talk about is like, oh, those are probably good things <laughs> to be doing yeah. anyway. And so it can't hurt. And maybe we'll have this extra boost of cognitive performance. So you're kind of thinking about, I know when we were talking earlier, you're kind of thinking about these kind of big sort of lifestyle factors, but also these kind of um, these practices that are really like specifically designed and focused on trying to prevent cognitive decline and you're going to talk about whether those work or not like those yeah. brain games that people pay a lot of money for. Yeah brain games and this has been kind of an interesting topic that's been in the psychology research quite a lot lately um, because 
people spend a lot of money. You've probably seen advertisements for brain games, so-called. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. People, really millions of dollars are spent on these. Um, and if you look at them, if you look at the websites of some of these, I'm not going to mention any by name, um, but they really sort of imply a very strong evidence base that these are helpful. Mm-hmm. Um and But there's been a lot of controversy in the actual cognitive psychology literature about whether or not they actually do um, improve cognitive functioning. But I think there's people on both sides of this um, mm-hmm. argument. But there was recently a really good and really extensive review paper that was published um, by Dan Simon and his collaborators. Um, it was published in the Psychological Science in the Public Interest Journal, um, mm-hmm. and it's called Do Brain Training Programs Work? And we'll, we can link to the article. I mean, it's a long article, and it gets a little, you know, techie. Detailed. <laughs> yeah. But um, we'll link to it on our – it's available online, so we'll link to it on our website. Um, but what they did is they really took a really good, hard look at the research and – they looked at all the data that came out, but they factored in the quality of the research that's been conducted. And so what they found is that a lot of the studies really supporting brain games were pretty poor quality in terms of how they were conducted, almost as if someone was going to make a profit off of a certain result. Um, so there, there was probably some bias. Um, mm-hmm. So, but what they that did, yeah, and so they yeah. factored in the quality of these studies, and what they basically found in a nutshell is that brain training games specifically do improve performance mostly on basically the tasks that you're training on. So, like, for instance, if you do crossword puzzles, you'll get better at crossword puzzles, you know, if you mm. do those every day, and that's, you know, pretty there's some pretty solid evidence for that, and that, of course, makes sense. You're practicing a certain thing. Um, the evidence isn't as strong that it actually, but there is some evidence that it, but it's not as strong that it performs, that it improves performance on similar tasks. You know, so for instance, mm-hmm. if you work on crossword puzzles, maybe you'll also improve on Scrabble and other mm-hmm. word type puzzles. Yeah. Um, so, you know, okay, that also makes sense. sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then when it comes to what we're really interested in with these game, brain games, which is that they actually per- improve performance in general, like on everyday cognitive tasks that aren't very similar, you know, just your sort of overall cognitive functioning, the evidence is actually pretty weak that it has much effect at all. So it doesn't so, generalize to things like memory or kind of organizing or, like, retrieval of, like, information, those kinds of things that you need. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you might not see that it generalizes into sort of, you know, preventing these more severe or these kind of improvements. Or improving them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, to me, the bottom line and kind of what they imply in the article, but – you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing brain games. If you enjoy them, great. Like, they're definitely not going to hurt you. Some people find them fun. I mean, I don't think that they're – they might have a little benefit, you know, in terms of getting better at them over time. Um, but definitely don't expect a miracle from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the bottom line is if you're spending a lot of your time and money on them and that's your hope, that might not actually be the best use of your time. Um, mm-hmm. Because there are probably some other lifestyle that practices more, lifestyle practices that matter more, um, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about here in a second. Um, but, you know, again, if you're doing these brain games because you like them and you find them fulfilling and fun, that's marvelous. But if you're spending a lot of time and money on them in the hopes that it's going to have that effect, 
you're probably better off, you know, going for a walk or doing some other things that seem to matter more. Hmm. So, so kind of the bottom line is diversify. Diversify. Like, don't yes. put all your time and energy into one kind of um, practice. To, yeah. And and with the intention of like this is going to help my brain, kind of do it for enjoyment and do it to sort of feel engaged in your daily life. Like yeah. that might be yeah. more important. Yeah. Yeah, and you might have fun and learn something. That's okay. I I guess even I would just say. Use caution when you're um, getting a sales pitch on those. It, yeah. They might be overselling what mm-hmm. they're trying to, you know, get you to buy. So just be cautious and don't expect mm-hmm. a miracle from them. But there are some, some lifestyles, that practices and factors that do seem to matter a bit more. Yeah. So tell me about those. Okay. That's the one, those are the ones that I think I might need to do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would recommend, again, sort of maybe focusing a little bit more on these if you, you know, are really looking for something that's going to matter. And, I, and I'll just say, too, again, there's no one magical thing that's going to reverse aging or that's going to – the brain does age, period. So, you know, don't expect a miracle here. But these are really based on some studies that kind of look at how behavior can – really shape where we fall in that cognitive range, um, given our genetic makeup. And there's some stuff that seems pretty promising. Um, The first thing, and this is just sort of the bottom line, like if I was going to give you one sentence nutshell of this entire episode, it's that you really want to just stay active socially, Mm -hmm. physically, you know, learning, doing leisure activities. Um, I'm going to talk more about physical activity in a few minutes. Um, But basically, there's some pretty good, robust research that just staying, you know, socially connected, that having community, um, social involvement, and that seems to matter a lot, just staying active socially. That's Mm -hmm. a really important thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And as our just engagement in sort of leisure activities and, you know, and this this shouldn't feel like another, oh, I must do a leisure activity now. It should be something you actually find enjoyable, you know, something that you want to do. You know, maybe it's taking a dance class or learning to paint or doing some writing or something. And um, Yeah. I think, you know, Debbie, I just want to interject that I, um, you know, I often work with um, older clients in my practice and, um, this is a really, really common dilemma. It's it's this dilemma of, you know, you transition maybe into retirement or you transition into this, like, you know, you might be working less or you know, the focus of your life changes. Your children are grown and they move away or whatever, and there's just less for you to be doing. And, and that might, and often for people, that's like the first time in their lives where their agenda kind of, you know, gets really narrow mm-hmm. and and where especially for for women who have been mothers, um, kind of removing that mother role um frees up this whole I don't know, almost like a set of issues, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, who am I and what do I like? And how am I going to fill up my time? And so it's kind of, it's closely related to the issue of aging and, you know, cognitive decline might be one of the concerns, but um, but just sort of how do you fill your time um, so that you're not isolated is something that r- people really, really struggle with. And, yeah. Um, so it might not be as easy as just like, oh, I just need to go out to lunch more or I need to, you know, like, 
plan a new um, yoga class or something like that, it might actually be that you need to find people to, you know, like, like yeah. you're, you're, you're already socially cut off and it's hard to meet people when you're yeah. older. Yeah. So. Well, it's true. I mean, I think when you're working or when you're, you know, raising kids or whatever you're doing, it's there, that sort of activity level is almost just built in. Mm-hmm. And then as you get older and, you know, empty nest and retirement yeah. and stuff like that, you ha- you do sort of have to seek it out. You know, you have to maybe join a book club or a group or go volunteer at the museum or take a class or, you know, just make an effort to connect with your community or your, your network, your social yeah. network. You know, I just thought about this as we were talking that I think, you know, one of maybe the marketing ploys of those brain games is the, the fact that, you know, people maybe don't have a lot in their life to, you know what I mean, to sort of like to be engaged and and this is like an easy one you can do by yourself or you can do, you know what I mean, you can do without having to like coordinate something new in your life. That's true. Yeah. yeah. It seems easier maybe than getting out there and joining a group where like I think your point is really um, a good one that sometimes there might be some anxiety or that tendency to sort of isolate or avoid um, Mm -hmm. and that that's really you know, probably the worst thing that you could do, honestly, is to be less active and to be more isolated. But, yeah. you know, that's also bad for a lot of other things like your mood and your, you know, your depression would be higher and stuff like that. So there's a number of reasons why these things all, it's it's a little hard to tease apart exactly what matters here because I think that, you know, we're yeah. social creatures and we generally tend to do better if we're at least somewhat, you know, active and have social support. So, mm-hmm, but yeah, mm-hmm. certainly the the research suggests that for the brain, that's really good, um, good stuff. And I work with a lot of neuropsychologists, and I one of my um, friends who's a neuropsychologist says that she tells her patients when they they've come in for a neuropsych evaluation, and you know, no matter what kind of where they are on the the spectrum of cognitive impairment or lack thereof, she says she doesn't recommend brain games or that sort of cognitive rehab, she tells them, live your life, engage in your life. Mm-hmm. That's the best mm-hmm. thing you can do is stay involved and active. Um, yeah. 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 Um, also, lifelong learning, which I think is really similar. It ties into this, you know, staying active. But we, you know, kind of beef up our brains, like our synaptic connections by learning new things and um, kind of challenging ourselves mentally. So maybe learning a new skill. Um, mm-hmm. and taking on something that might be like reading a book, but a book that's going to sort of challenge us or get us thinking a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. There's some research that people who are who have higher le- levels of education tend to do a little bit better in the long term cognitively. And I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of factors going on there, you know, some mm-hmm. economic factors and just physical yeah. health factors. And maybe there's like just a correlation in terms of people who are, drawn to stay in school longer might already be predisposed with kind of, you know, stronger um, cognitive Mm -hmm. performance from the get-go. But I also do wonder if people who are really doing that lifelong learning all along, they might just have sort of beefed up their neural connections a little bit more. Yeah. That gives them more to work from when they start fading. Yeah. 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 Well, and I know... um, that just, you know, it's a little bit different than a brain game in the sense that learning something new. So, again, taking on, like, a new skill or yeah. challenging yourself in some way. 
yeah. taking on a like new. Like, for example, um, learning how to edit audio files right. for a podcast. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, Ray. Yeah. We we Talk all had a learning curve. Right. Ray and I and Diana, we all had to learn, you know, okay, we're going to do a podcast. How do you so we had to learn how to do this to sit there and take an audio file, record it, you know, we had to learn how to edit it and put this stuff all together and I don't know about you Ray, but I definitely was up you know, yeah, many an hour, many an hour trying to wrap my head around this totally, you know, we're psychologists. We don't, we have no idea to do this by training. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, right. There's technical stuff that yeah, is yeah. Um, not yeah. intuitive and it's, you know, you don't learn by trial and error. You have to go and find like the manual and read it and mm-hmm. not, I don't love doing stuff like that. I don't either. I like to just like, I'm the kind of person who like, un, you know, takes everything out of the box to build the furniture and just starts. Right, and right. then it's like, oh, crap. Like, this is backwards. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's not my favorite thing in the world either. But, I mean, didn't you feel, I felt, Ray, and I don't, I, as I was doing it, it felt sort of almost like there was some new skill building going on. Oh, I don't yeah. know, something sort of satisfying about it. I felt like I was using a totally different part of my brain than I normally do as a psychologist. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's an important thing to remember about this whole process is that you've got to figure out what's reinforcing to you, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, you've got to, like, choose activities that you're going to want to continue with. Right, right. And that means for some people, you know, you got to go out and try 10 or 15 different things and figure out which one is the one you want to stick with. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and I wouldn't look, again, I wouldn't look at any of this as, like, another, like, oh, you should do, go do leisure. It's more like... What right. do you actually enjoy doing? You know, make it yeah. something that's fun for you. That's more sustainable and it's going to give you more enjoyment anyway. Um, yeah. But, but definitely yeah. to think outside the box and learn new things. Um, there's some cognitive um, psychologists who say that, um, especially if you're doing activities that require a little bit of effort, but then also what they call, cognitive scientists call this elaboration, which is connecting with new material in a deeper way. And there was hmm. actually a recent paper that was a, commentary on the paper about brain games so uh-huh. we can post that on okay. our web page as well but what they talked about is just sort of digging deeper with the material finding connections to other information you've learned connecting it to your own life so you mm. know if you're listening to this podcast today you could just sort of half-heartedly listen to it which probably some people might do um, mm. but you could also kind of just play around with the material a little bit more, explore it, kind of connect it to previous material you've learned, think about it in your own life, maybe dig a little Mm -hmm. deeper into some of this and have a more enriching experience. And so, you know, whether you do that with this podcast or not, like you can do that in your life, you know, read a book, but then connect it to something that's going on in the world or something like that. So that elaboration seems to help. Yeah. I really, that, I really love that idea. And uh, it kind of it makes me think about what I've been learning about education for young kids and wow. how, like, some schools really talk about, like, teaching kids to be lifelong learners and what does mm-hmm. that mean. And a lot of it is, like, providing kids with opportunities to do that elaboration, right? Like, go out, start with a question that you want to find out more about, and then use resources, you know, whether that's collecting data or looking at interviewing people or looking in books, but just to kind of be sort of broad in your approach to learning and teaching kids skills for doing that sets them up for 
what you're talking about. Absolutely. And to me, that's a lot more important than, you know, rote memorization or something sure. like that to really, you know, make yeah. the material d- deeper in that way. And to yeah. inspire, like, a love of learning because you're setting them up young to, to do this lifelong learning thing. So, yeah. 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 So another thing that – another sort of lifestyle practice – that I think is really important is that just this idea of taking care of yourself physically. Um, I watched this as I was preparing. There's a PBS documentary coming out on Alzheimer's pretty soon, later this month. Um, And they had like a brief video by this um, Dr. Rudy Tanzi, who's the chair of the Cure Alzheimer's Fund Research Consortium. And he said, Basically, what's good for the heart is good for the brain. I really like that. And actually, we'll, I can, we can link to that video as well. It's available online, and it's like five minutes long or something like that, but it's just chock full of some really helpful suggestions from a real expert on this. Um, sure. But basically, one of the best things that we can do is physical activity and just exercising, even moderate exercise, so like going for a 30-minute walk really does, is good for our brain, and it increases neuroplasticity and cognitive performance and reduces the risk of those more severe dementia-type processes. So it's really good for the aging brain. Hmm. And that's why, you know, I said earlier, if you have 30 minutes to devote to doing something, you would probably be better off going for a walk than doing brain puzzles. Ultimately, Hmm. that probably matters more. And it's yeah. cheaper. Um, yeah. So, but you well, know, you can do both, but hopefully you're at least doing some physical activity. Yeah. But you're saying that it's kind of multifaceted, the benefits are, because yeah. it's helping your brain and your heart and muscles and uh-huh. maybe balance and coordination. And maybe even if you're doing it with somebody, then it's improving your social connection. Yeah. Go for a walk with a neighbor. I mean, that's a great social activity too. Well, and it also improves, you know, as you know, it improves mood, it helps with stress, it helps with sleep, and those are all factors as well. Um, but there's some really interesting research about what actually happens in the brain with exercise. And, you know, we there's so much we could talk about here, but the, uh, just sort of in a nutshell, some of the actual parts of the brain are larger when they compare populations of people who exercise and those who don't. So, And some of those are areas that seem to be important in the long run, like the prefrontal cortex, hippocampus, that type of thing. There are also people who tend to exercise frequently, have better connectivity and efficiency in their neural connections. There's lower inflammation. There's just these chemicals released in the brain that seems to affect the health of the brain cells and and Mm. blood flow to the brain and that type of thing. So a lot of really good sort of direct effects to the brain. And again, those indirect effects effects like improving mood and sleep and reducing stress. Um, Mm. And those... In, like changes in the brain do actually seem to affect cognitive performance. So mm-hmm. really that's probably the closest thing we have to like a magic, you know, yeah. solution. Um, yeah. And what's really interesting as I was looking in the research, both in childhood and adulthood, even later adulthood, like when people might start to have some of those cognitive declines, exercise helps. So it's never mm-hmm. too early and it's never too late to start increasing your physical activity. Um, Mm. So even if, you know, you have young kids, it's great for them. But even if you are getting older and starting to be a little bit more concerned about this, you know, just Mm -hmm. do what you can to have. And, again, it doesn't have to be like running a marathon, just moderate exercise. A little bit of moderate exercise seems to really help. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and that's an opportunity to try something new, too. So Mm -hmm. like Diana and you are talking about going, you know, to try a new sort of, 
physical activity like Tai Chi or Qigong or um, yeah, I mean, even try like karate or, you know, right. give it a try and see what you can do. It's a double whammy, right? Because it's physical activity and you're learning something new you yeah know, take, novelty. yeah take tango lessons or something like yeah that. you know there's yeah. so many different ways um there's some pretty um interesting research about diet and how diet affects brain health and you know this again is that what's good for the heart is good for the brain kind of thing that most of the research that i came across that sort of Mediterranean style diet seems to be pretty good just where you're eating more green veggies and other veggies, berries, nuts, whole grains, fish, you know, all those kind of good healthy fats um, and the Mm. kind of anti-inflammatory, high Mm. antioxidant type foods, wine Mm. in moderation. That's always a fun thing to read about in the research, you know, like a little bit of wine with Mm. dinner kind of thing. Yeah. Um, So, you know, again, I don't know if the, I think, a lot of this is still being researched, but basically just kind of a healthy diet with a lot of nutrition, low on processed foods. That's all good for the brain, too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we'll continue to see more research about this, but there's a specific diet that's called the MIND diet for folks who are interested that's really sort of a spin on the Mediterranean diet that's supposed to be, you know, focused specifically on brain health. Um, but to me, it's more common sense. It's like obviously eating a lot of junk food or fast food is probably not good for your body or your brain, but eating mm-hmm. more just sort of veggies and healthy fats and stuff like that is just good for you in so many ways. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And sleep. Um, that same segment I talked about on PBS with Dr. Rudy Tanzi, he talks, he actually said that he used to say that exercise and then diet were the most important things, but now he says that exercise and then sleep are the most mm-hmm. important things, and he really prioritizes, I mean, I'm sure he's a busy fella with his job, mm-hmm. but he prior, prioritizes getting, you know, seven to eight hours of quality sleep because what they found with the research, more and more information is coming out about how sleep is helpful to the brain, that during sleep, especially when you get into deep sleep, your brain sort of cleans itself out, um, and mm-hmm. that's the time that it stops some of those kind of aging processes like forming plaques is during Mm. deep sleep. So, Mm. you know, just sort of allowing yourself the time to, you know, get a good night of rest um, Mm -hmm. matters. You know, we're sometimes so busy that we don't prioritize that, but it matters quite a lot. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 I recently um, listened to another podcast that was talking about how, um, how sleep and also, um, this kind of new um, new research on light therapy for um, reversing the effects of Alzheimer's. Mm. Um, and, um, and the reason that I connected this was that they talk about these cells in the brain, which they refer to as the janitor cells. And I think mm. that's probably the same thing that's going on when you're thinking about sleep, that there's these cells that need to be activated, and they activate during sleep, um, and they go around and they clean up, like you're talking about these plaques and other things that really actually are what slow down those connections. When, we're, when you were talking earlier about neural, neural connection and the myelin sheath and all of that kind of stuff, that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that those are really necessary. And so thinking about ways, you know, to keep those cells active is really a big part of, a big focus of research on right. cognitive design right now. Yeah, you need to kind of clean clean out the brain to be able to work properly. So sleep is important for that. 
Yeah, yeah. And so is there some promising research, and I think this is a little bit less robust as a research line. It's newer, um, but that the meditation practice is potentially helpful for the aging brain, and it really kind of any practice that also helps with stress management. You know, I think stress is an inevitable part of life, um, mm-hmm. but there are times in life when the stress just kind of builds up and it really can take a toll on us. Um, and so when that's going on. You know, you and I both, I think, had a stressful year in 2016 we just talked about in our previous episode. Um, mm-hmm. When it does, when you are in one of those those times of life, it's an Im- particularly important to practice stress management, to take some time for physical health and for meditation, um, mm-hmm. relaxation, whatever works for you, but that that's something else that is, is showing some promise um, yeah. for yeah. the aging brain. Yeah, and, cool. And, a lot of the research on this is going to continue. I think a lot of these studies are epidemiological, which basically means that, you know, they look at whole populations. And so we don't really know what is actually causal there. There might be some things where, you know, the re- what the relationship is between these different factors is maybe not right. entirely understood. Right. We can't do a yeah. randomized control trial of aging. <laughs> right. Exactly. Everybody ages. So. Yeah. And there's a lot of factors that go into this to get, that kind of come together around all this, which is part of why it's so hard to tease out. Um, but I would just say I feel fairly confident saying that, you know, some of these things are pretty good for you anyway. They really lead to a rich, healthy life and that, you know, they probably do matter at least to some degree in terms of, you know, just promoting as much brain health as possible. Right. It's so, all about the yeah. mind-body connection, right? That's our right. brains are part of our body. Yep. Even yep. though sometimes we, you know, feel really separate in our mind and body. Um, yep. Yeah, you're really talking about that connection and kind of using your, um, using behavior to, um, like something that you have control over to affect what sometimes feels like, you know, kind of an abstract thing. Our brains yeah. are not right. to have any, like, ability to change, but we do. Yeah, and we can just do, try to get into some of these practices on, on a daily basis, and over time, you know, hopefully they will kind of add up and, and promote health. Um, yeah. Yeah, so um, I hope that's helpful to folks, and we'll definitely link to some of the resources that we found on our webpage. Some of them are a little bit more technical than others, so we'll try to put sort of a mix up there, but just folks who are interested in looking a little bit more. I I actually find it a little bit inspiring to think about this. It kind of reminds me of the importance of this stuff, and I think it's... I think it's a little bit fun, you know, especially yeah. the piece about lifelong learning and doing leisure activities. I'm like, that kind of excites me. So um, yeah. I hope people will find this um, inspiring. And Yeah. Well, thank helpful. you for taking all the time to do that research for us because, yeah, definitely applies for everybody. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ray, and thanks for um, contributing and for talking to me today. Yeah. Thank you, Debbie. All right. Now, everyone, go out and, like my neuropsychologist friend said, you know, live your life. Live your life. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. You can also find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's offtheclockpsych.com. Music by John Goo and Susie Stevens.